0: Tyranny only comes to your door in a uniform and a badge. And if the police say no, then the politicians are absolutely positively impotent. We're supporting the police to say no. You're listening to The Corbett Report.
1: Welcome, friends. James Corbett here CorbettReport.com, coming to you in a conversation that is being recorded on the 17th of November, 2020. Today, we're going to be talking to a new guest to the Corbett Report. His name is Howard Lichtman, and uh, we're going to be talking about an idea that he has come up with that I think is an important part of the solutions that are going to be necessary to get us through uh, the incredibly turbulent times that are coming. And I think it's the other half of a coin that I uh, talk about often here in terms of civil disobedience, which is going to be necessary. We have to not comply with unlawful orders and with the the types of things that are coming to pass. But the other half of that is we need the enforcement class to be on board with the people and not the uh, the great resetters who are trying to shove humanity in a direction that really none of us want to go in. Um, So I think it is going to be important to make sure that the enforcement class knows who the people are that they are serving and what's the best way to do that. So here is a solution, an idea for doing that. It is called Thick Red Line. It's at thickredline.org. Howard Lichtman, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you, uh, James. Glad to be with you.
1: Excellent. All right. So let's, let's get into this idea. First, actually, I want to hear about how this idea originated. And I understand that this came from some civil disobedience activism that you were engaged in that brought to mind the idea of how to engage the police not as enemies necessarily but as people who are themselves trapped in a system that they don't necessarily want to be uh enforcers in
0: yeah absolutely so i was in california in the beginning of the uh pandemic, and uh we were in the heart myself and david rodriguez were in the epicenter of COVID in california according to the la times santa clara and we were the first to really go into the hospitals there you know and on video expose empty tents empty waiting rooms I actually went through the testing procedure got to the you know got to the gentleman doing the testing took off my mask explained to him that I was an investigative journalist and, 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 you know, began asking him, and he looked very, very nervous, uh, you know, but I began asking him, you know, are you experiencing any more death or disease than the usual and customary seasonal flus and influenzas and, and uh, you know, pneumonias? And he said, no, and they weren't even really doing that much testing in the epicenter of COVID in California. We talked to other employees that were openly speculating that it was a hoax. We also went into a Dominican hospital in Santa Cruz, California, where we found empty tents, empty waiting rooms as well. And uh, right after that video went out, they took down the tents the next day. And so we knew that the government and the media wasn't being truthful about what was going on with COVID. They were exaggerating the lethality. They were exaggerating the communicability. And so we began organizing resistance in Santa Cruz and in the, you know, kind of uh, uh, San Jose area. And in Santa Cruz, uh, we went to a, a, a meeting of kind of 10 friends that had got together, also didn't believe what the government and the media was telling them about COVID and and uh, we helped them begin organizing resistance and the next week we had 20 people and the next week we had 35 and we were you know marching through the streets of Santa Cruz with a bullhorn going it's just the flu people it's just the flu and explaining to them you know uh, giving them some you know uh, understanding of what was really going on and then that 35 grew to a facebook group of over 400 and we began regularly turning out as many as seventy, you know, plus people at different events, some to reopen the beaches, some to reopen parks. We tried to support restaurateurs to you know to reopen. And, you know, we would we would go out in force, 70 people. We'd say we are reopening this beach and we'd all step forward on the beach and uh, they'd you know, close the beach because, you know, from 11 to 5, because that's when the covid is is active. It's evidently it's not active, you know, in the morning and in the late evening. But, you know, we'd go out at, at noon or one or two or whatever time it was and the police would come and the police would say, You've got to get off the beach. And we'd say, we're not getting off the beach. And we we wouldn't argue the Constitution. We'd argue our natural law rights, that the government doesn't own the beach. There was never a moment where the government took over the ownership of the beach in the world kind of a thing. And we would explain that when the police were using violence against peaceful people – that they are the, you know, they're the criminals and we would explain to them natural law and they'd say, hey, you know, we don't want to be doing this. We like going to the beach. We like having bonfires. What are we supposed to do? And I had a little bit of an epiphany and, you know, because I've, I've watched them get hammered down when they stand up, uh, you know, individually like Greg Anderson did in Washington state. And I said, well, what you really need to do is you need to get together, you know, either through your union or outside of your union and you need to collectively refuse to enforce victimless crimes. And all police officers claim that they have a a thick red line in the sand that they won't cross. I mean, if you ask them about gun control, it's usually, you know, bare minimum gun control. And so what we did is we said, well, really, the, the logical and the moral place you need to draw the line is no victim, no crime. That is peace and equal rights for all and you could see that they liked that idea that was really you know they're really thinking about it and so then it kind of grew from there one of uh, one of my friends said hey I'll you know I'll pay for a website we began building a website and then about 2 weeks ago we launched and we raised over a uh, $1000 in less than a week and tomorrow we're announcing a major gift of $5000 in bitcoin cash from Roger Veer And so we're off to the races and we're trying to recruit sheriffs, police chiefs, deputies and officers to collectively refuse to enforce victimless crimes.
1: Such an important idea, such a simple idea, such a powerful idea. And I think it speaks to the fact that uh, although sometimes we can forget it depending on what side of that uh, red line we're standing on, but these cops are humans as well. That they themselves are human beings who live in the same culture and and in the same place that we do and uh, also experience some of the same pangs of doubt about whether what they are being asked to enforce is really the right thing. So it is important to speak to these people and appeal to their humanity. Uh, Let's talk about some of the interactions that you've had so far with police and their receptivity or lack thereof to this idea.
0: So I'll tell you this: uh, during the beach protest, while well, the in the in the two months that I was in the area, we shut down the police eight times in eight weeks. So every single time that they came out to try and get us to leave the beach, we would say no, and we would you know kind of lock arms ourselves. And uh, ultimately, they would threaten to fine us and they threatened this and they threatened that. They did steal David Rodriguez's car one day. But other than that, um, they were never really able to get us to acquiesce and, and, and stand down on our natural law rights. And so, you know, a right not exercised is a right lost. And so we just, you know, we told them, look, you know, we're you know, we're not trying to be difficult, but, you know, th- it is our right to be on this beach. And so we won every time. Um, I've talked to uh, different I've now talked to I've started the conversation with sheriffs. I've started the conversation with deputies. Uh, I've had deputies that are giving me the inside scoop on how to you know, tips to organize different, you know, uh, to to organize, you know, sheriff's departments are easier than police chiefs because the sheriff is an elected official, and uh, the police chief serves at the you know at the will of uh, politicians. and so, so we've got people that are that are helping us along the way within certain sheriff's departments. And I've talked to sheriffs that are actually thinking about it, one in particular. I don't want to you know give a name out yet, uh, but that's been very interesting. And another thing is, and you'll find this on the uh, on our press release when we announce, but we actually have on our board of advisors, an alderman from the city of Virginia, Vermont, who gave us a great quote. He said, you know, I don't want our officers Wasting their time on victimless crimes. I want them focused on real crimes with real victims. And so we haven't I haven't met anybody really that doesn't really like the idea yet. Um, And so uh, so it, it seems to be an idea that unites the people and the police against the politicians. And it really is the politicians that are trying to force the police to use violence and be immoral to either raise revenue or to, you know, engineer social engineering or, you know, what I would call economic warfare based on, you know, disease models that have already proven to be flawed and incorrect. And so uh, everybody seems to like the idea. Nothing but positive so far.
1: That's very good to hear because I think this speaks to the way that we are trapped in by ideas and narratives that uh, can be blown over it with a strong gust of wind if we actually try. For example, I think that the, the police and the sheriffs and all these people are trapped in Their own narrative of, oh, well, you know, there's nothing we can do. We don't want to enforce these laws, but we have to. And on the flip side of that, a lot of people will go along with these mandates. Well, they closed the beach. I guess there's nothing we can do. Just got to stay home. Uh, And no one even thinks to break that condition. No, I'm going to go out to the beach, even though they are telling me not to do so. And I'm not going to leave unless they physically drag me off. And no one thinks to challenge these things so they don't understand that actually maybe they can break out of these narratives that they've been given and maybe there's a different way of handling this. So let, let's look at the vision of what you have for Thick Red Line. Where, what is this campaign aiming at? Where is it going from here? How do you want it to spread?
0: So, you know, right now we're beginning, we're starting with the sheriffs that have already said no to some aspect of either, of either uh, the lockdowns or red flag laws and for the viewers that aren't familiar with red flag laws uh certain states are instituting gun confiscation not widely but just one you know one by one maryland is a, is a perfect example where uh they said you know uh you have a second amendment but if a neighbor or a friend or, or or a police officer or a judge decides that you might be a danger to yourself then we can come and we can take away your second amendment one at a time And the first time that they did that in Maryland, it was a, I think it was a 63 year old man that didn't want to give up his guns. And so they killed him and they've now done 300 plus red flag law raids on different individual, uh, gun owners in the state of Maryland, including, uh, and including no knock SWAT team raids. And in one of those no knock SWAT team raids, a 20 something libertarian activist was shot dead in his bed while sleeping. Uh, during this no-knock SWAT team raid. And so there have been sheriffs that have already said, we're not going to enforce red flag laws. We're not going to force these lockdowns. And so we're starting with them. We have a handbook at thickredline.org that explains to them, you know, what, you know, what natural law is. There's, you know, five main transgressions. There's theft, murder, rape, assault, and, uh, and trespass. And all of these are obviously wrong because there's a victim And the word right, everybody says, I have a right to this. I have a right to that. Uh, Well, many people don't understand that the word right comes from also comes from the natural law tradition. And a right is anything that's not a wrong. And so if you're not hurting somebody else, then you have a right to be doing whatever it is that you want to do. As long as you're not hurting somebody else. And when the police come and, you know, because uh, a politician wrote it down on a piece of paper, they use violence against overwhelmingly peaceful people. They become the criminals because they're actually committing a wrong and they have to deal with the karma of that, even even if it doesn't come immediately. And so, you know, not only with this Would this end the lockdowns and end, uh, the, you know, the war on people that is called the war on drugs, but you know, it would also save the taxpayers billions and it would, uh, you know, break the backs of drug cartels and pimps, it would keep hundreds of thousands of peaceful people out of for-profit prison where they're frequently forced to work as slave labor, but finally it would restore respect to the police. And so everybody wins. The police wins. They don't want to be doing this. We've talked to them. I've talked to dozens and dozens of police officers. I know they don't want to be raising revenue on their friends and neighbors, but they haven't had a way out until now. And that way out is collectively refusing to do it, supported by the community. And, uh, and we think that, uh, that that's an idea that's got some legs. It seems, seems to be taking off. And so uh, that's what, what we're working on right now is we're starting with the, the sheriffs that we already know have the courage to say no to using violence on peaceful people.
1: For people who uh, want to find out more about this idea and what you're doing, how can they find that information? And for people who are already on board with this idea and want to help, how can they do that?
0: So uh, thick red, uh, thickredline.org is the website. and on the website there's, there's two things that you can do. You can download the handbook and you can also sign up for some trainings, some you know, over Zoom that we're putting together uh, that will teach you how to organize your own community and your own sheriff's department or pl- uh, sheriff's office or police department to go thick redline. Uh, we have cards for cops that you can order and they, they explain the basics to you, know, to, you know, to rank and file deputies and officers or the sheriff or the police chief. Uh, and uh, and we're, we're especially looking for people in each community that have gravitas and that have the ability to go and schedule a meeting with the sheriff or with, with their elected officials and with journalists and, and the local news, newspaper and kind of, you know, explain to these constituencies You know, all of the benefits of going thick red line Um, right now, you know, as you know, Black Lives Matter is pushing to defund the police. And while we share Black Lives Matter's frustration with police abuses, we are excited to let them know that there is a much better solution that doesn't throw cities and towns into turmoil because it, you know, immediately ends any kind of armed protective services that are that are available in the city, but achieves the exact same outcome uh, with all of these other, you know, benefits that uh, that def- just defundment doesn't, you know, doesn't achieve. And so, uh, so we've got some trainings, we've got some cards for cops, and uh, you can find it all at thickredline.org.
1: That's awesome. I, I very much am excited about this idea and hope that it develops from here. And I know that most of my audience will be on that side of people who are subject to these laws and or These rules that are being handed down from on high and enforced by people who may not necessarily even want to enforce them. So I want to stress again that this is a narrative that people are trapped in and you don't know who is on your side until you actually stand up to it. And you will be locked inside your own mental prison, uh, first of all, before you're locked inside your home. But let's... Let's address actually finally here. Let's address the people on the other side of that coin uh, for any people in positions of enforcement who may be in the audience. What would you say to them directly about this idea?
0: Uh, I would, first of all, I, I want them to understand that we're trying to help them. I have friends that are police officers, that are good people that signed up. And I don't think that they understood what they were getting into, you know, when they took the job. And now the politicians are leaning on these guys, you know, to do more and more tyrannical things. I mean, it's, you know, when a lot of people signed up, they didn't have red flag laws, they didn't have lockdowns. And now they're talking about potentially mandatory vaccinations. And so the police are now looking, you know, for a way out, and so this is a way out that restore that allows them to keep their jobs, restores respectability, but at the same time ends the violence and ends the, you know, ends the kind of the, the practices that are ca- causing uh, racial and societal division in our cities and in our towns. Um, the, the majority, as far as I can tell of the, of the unintended deaths and the riots that come with them, and everything else, is almost always connected to the enforcement of victimless crimes. Whether it's the, it was the no-knock, uh, you know, SWAT team raid that killed Breonna Taylor in Louisville, whether it was you know choking Eric Garner out in New York City for selling you know loose cigarettes. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost every single incidents where, you know, where the police are commit you know, committing, you know, these unintended killings with their unintended consequences is the enforcement of victimless crimes. They don't want to be doing that. They don't want to be, you know, uh, raising revenue on their friends and neighbors through what Sheriff Mack calls taxation through citation. And so they have the ability to say no. And that's really the good news. When the police are, per, are, are going after murderers, rapists, and thieves, everybody loves the police. Everybody loves the police when they're going after real crimes with r- real victims. It's only the raising the revenue and the, and the victimless crimes that lead to this racial and societal division. If you end that, then, you know, you've got all of these, these benefits and it saves the taxpayers billions to boot. And so I want them to know that that option is out there and that, 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 that they have friends in the community that will stand behind them. And the community will stand behind them because I haven't met anybody that wants them to be enforcing these victimless crimes or raising revenue on their friends and neighbors. And so they need to understand that the community is behind them. They have the ability to say no. And and for the dirty, dirty politicians that would use them, that would use them immorally and have them commit violence on peaceful people to achieve revenue goals, um, that those – those bad actors become completely impotent if the police say no. Tyranny only comes to your door in a uniform and a badge, and if the police say no, then the politicians are absolutely positively impotent. We're supporting the police to say no.
1: What an exceptionally powerful message and a a powerful idea that should, I hope, resonate with the audience. Um, Imagine police being heroes again, rather than, uh, subjects of villainy and scorn. So, um, very, very interesting idea. Is there anything else you'd like to leave the audience with before we wrap up here?
0: You nailed it. We're looking for heroes and we're looking for the, for the, we need, you know, we need at least two or three sheriff's departments or police departments to go first. And if you want to know what real c- courage is, I mean, I, there's nothing courageous, about being stacked up eight to ten guys deep in body armor in a no-knock raid, out, you know, SWAT team raid on a on a you know a pothead or a gun owner. That's not I don't call that courage. What I call courage is standing up against these politicians and saying, hey, we're not going to do it, supported by the community. That's real courage. We're looking for the first couple of heroes that want to go first and I lean on your audience to help us. Help us identify those 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 sheriffs, police chiefs, deputies and officers that have the courage to go first, because that's what the world needs at this time. And hopefully this is an idea that doesn't just, you know, stay contained in the United States, but spreads out across the world. Because if, if, you know, if the, the enforcement arm of the politicians say no, that could be something that could go global. And so we're, we're looking for people to take it global as well. We're looking for heroes. Please help us find those heroes.
1: Howard Lichtman, ThickRedLine.org. I hope people will check out the site and see if there's a way that they can get involved with this idea. And uh, we're going to leave it there for today. But I hope you can join us again to update us on this idea as it develops. Uh, thank you again for your time.
0: Thanks, James. I appreciate it.